0: I purchased my wife's wedding ring from a Cracker Jack box. This is your host, Jordan Risky of the Nimrods Podcast, brought to you by Prime Archery and Risky Outdoors. If you guys haven't already, please leave a nice little review over on our iTunes. We would appreciate it. Also, I want to apologize in advance for the dog barking in the background around the five minute mark as my dog, Sisney went a little crazy as someone showed up to our house. So again, I apologize. But on this episode, we have my good buddy Rob on here talking about target archery and his largest Michigan deer, which I believe was featured in Woods and Waters magazine, scoring right there around 150 inches. Um, Just an overall great Michigan deer hunting story. Rob was able to harvest this on a decently small chunk of land. So uh, yeah, without further ado, we're going to jump right into this and get my good buddy Rob on the phone. All right, so we got my good buddy Rob on the phone. Uh, Rob, go ahead, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and kind of how you got into deer hunting. Uh,
1: hey guys, uh, thanks for
2: having me on. i um, been hunting for close to 15, 16 years now. I kind of got a late start. Um, you know, I'd, I'd gone out uh, when I was a youth with my dad and, uh, you know, sat in the blind type of thing, but uh, I didn't get into archery hunting um until i was a senior in high school um got my first bow at darton um and uh got it pretty late in the year i think i got it christmas time and um you know spent a few weeks flinging arrows all day basically on christmas break and i think i did two or three sits um out at my aunt and uncle's place uh in lowell um no 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 deer seen no deer shot at but it was cool to finally have a bow in my hands and then from there just uh been getting after it um and been really concentrating hard on archery only um for probably the last seven or eight years um i uh when i first took a a whitetail with a bow at close range um from then on out i think i'd taken a doe um at like 15 16 yards when i was in college and at that point having those deer that close and everything i just i kind of decided gun gun hunting was not for me i'll do it if i ever had to or if that was the thing the family was doing that weekend but um my choice is to have a bow in hand and be in the whitetail woods
0: that's awesome i think that's kind of how jake and i are we'll 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 use a shotgun if that's what everyone's doing at that time but more so than not we are we're we're bow hunting
2: <laughs> yeah and- I'm typically the odd man out in the family, too. I mean, all my uncles and, and grandpa and everybody still love to rifle hunt, and, uh, you know, they go out west and, and still rifle hunt, um, but I'm slowly dragging my my two older cousins uh, in the archery world with me, too. They, they uh, tend to want to put a bow in their hands as well, so we get a lot of weekend trips where we'll get up north and stuff together and go bow hunting on some state land and everything so we're kind of there's a little bit of divide between the uh, the seniors and the, the younger guys in our family
0: gotcha yeah so archery only what got you into to archery Darton, man that was like i that's a michigan company too right i believe
1: yeah yeah yep
2: michigan company bow um My uncle had shot Darton for years. My dad was a Hoyt guy when he was uh, shooting a compound bow, and um, I think we just needed something at a good price point when I first wanted to get into it because I had never really shot before. So uh, we had, um, I think, a private Darton dealer that my uncle knew really well uh, up in the Midland area. And uh, so I went over there, and he had a nice little shop in his his, uh, garage, and we got all set up and everything and
1: kind of started from there.
0: Yeah, they were they were like big because I know I grew up. I mean, in the Jackson County area, and one of the shops close to our house it was like specifically Darton, and they're they're trying to make a comeback now. But yeah,
1: man.
2: They yeah they've done really well. They've got a couple of uh, you know I shoot a lot of target archery as well, a lot of three D, and and so. You, that's where you kind of get to see a lot of the different brands represented. And um, they've got a couple of pro shooters that uh, you start seeing on the weekends at some of the big national shoots that, it, that make it pretty far. I don't think there are any of the shoot-downs or anything like that, but um, you know they're starting to kind of make a comeback, like you said, and be more well-represented, at least on a target scene. And that usually tends to make a transition into the outdoor or, you know, into the archery woods as well.
0: Yeah. I was just listening to actually a, a podcast with Ryan Silver from Prime, and he was talking about how the United States is, like, really big into the hunting world, but then you get over overseas into, like, Europe. I, th- I think it was Ryan. It was one of the guys from um, Prime. And they say you get over into Europe, and it's a complete opposite. You have... A large target archery community in a very small hunting community, kind of like it is here in the U.S., but just flipped. Yeah,
2: there's, uh, and that's the one thing I found as well is is there's a ton of European archers that come over here to shoot 3D and to shoot a lot of our our large events just because the, financially the, the payouts are great uh, and stuff here. But um, yeah, they just they don't hunt like like we do over here. That's not the prime or the the prime or the uh, you know the number one goal uh usually with archery equipment here in america is yeah.
0: probably you're, you're probably on with it versus versus target archery and i think it, yeah like you said it's completely opposite overseas sorry my dog is barking someone just pulled in <laughs> quiet sissy um so yeah rob on to the the target archery shut up um onto the target archery what kind of got you into that
2: um, I have a good buddy of mine that shoots or was, uh, actually shooting for Matthews. Um, I showed up, um, when I was working for a shop in the East side of the state, uh, we had some target archers and stuff in there. And when I uh, moved back to the West side of the state, um, one of the guys that I knew from that shop said, Hey, you know, you should come try this 3d thing. It's good practice. It'll make you a better archer. So I, uh, I threw my, basically all my hunting equipment and in, in my bag and, and, uh, showed up at a um, the West Michigan Archery Center here in Rockford, Michigan. Um, and they had an indoor ASA shoot. And, um, because my, the speed of my bow, I was still shooting 70, a 70 pound hunting setup. Um, I had to get put, they have a, a feet per second limit, uh, based on your class. So I ended up getting put with a guy uh, named Chad Bennett, who, um, is a very good shooter here in Michigan and, uh, does really well in the 3d circuit. Um, I was basically shooting a known pro class because of the speed of my bow at the time. So <laughs> I get put, I get put with Chad, he, uh, that first day, um, uh, you know, he's kind of given me some tips and pointers and stuff. And, um, and ever since then I've kind of leaned on him for just knowledge and stuff and, um, slowly kept going more. He's kind of taking me under his wing and, um, you know, as I've gotten some more years and some time to, to shoot and, um, I still shoot with him and his wife all the time, but um, it's, a, it's been a growing thing for me in these last couple of years. I, and this is, uh, last year I, I kind of was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get a target. I got my first target bow from Chad, um, you know, Matthews, Halon, X-Comp. I, I started getting into the more of the target equipment with a sight and the setup uh, of stabilizers and more of a men, they call it a men's open setup with the long bars and back bar and magnification, all that stuff, and uh, basically just a big drain in my wallet. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, and, but I started doing that and traveling the state of Michigan to go shoot, you know, these different foam shoots and, uh, just a lot like golf or wrestling or anything else I've done in my life. It's a great group of people and fun to do for a couple hours. And, um, I still love the competitive aspect of it. It's a individual sport, which I've always enjoyed. Um, so, uh, kind of practice and practice and practice and set myself up for, for success or failure that way. So. It's been, uh, it's been really fun. It's been a great learning experience, and it's paid off a ton when it comes to uh, archery for animals or, or whitetail. Um, I remember specifically, you know, my deer that I shot this past season, um, I had no basically no buck fever. Uh, that deer came in on a string, a good-sized Michigan deer, um, by no means a giant or, or like, the, like the deer I shot the year before. Um, but the, all the adrenaline came after the shot, you know, there was no nervousness beforehand. And I think a lot of that goes to some of the pressure of trying to hit that small spot on a phone target. Um, you know, I'd done it so many times or had that, that heart rate up and, um, that focus. So, um, I think it really pays off, um, if you do it enough to, to the hunting aspect of things.
0: Gotcha. That's, that's interesting. I've, I've always considered getting into the target archery world, but then, also I like look at that and then I'm like, man, if I get into it, then probably my wife's going to get into it and then <laughs> it's going to be extremely expensive. And let alone, we are I already don't have enough money to buy everything I want for the Whitetail uh, woods. So I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to stay away from the tar- target target world for now. It,
2: it, yeah. And it's one of the cool things too. And I think a lot of people, um, that, that doesn't need to be the thought, um, Jordan is, uh, you know, these. Um, I shoot for ASA here in Michigan and the IAA, which is the Independent Archers Association, uh, which is kind of a best of both worlds between um, the IBO, uh, which is another organization for 3D shooting, and ASA. Um, it's kind of a mix of those two. But um, there's most of the larger classes are hunter classes, um, where you have a shorter stabilizers, no magnification, you can have adjustable sights. Um, you know, you can basically show up with your hunting setup. You don't have to go spend the money on the, the extra bow, the long stabilizers, the target site, you know, all that stuff that that does have a drain on your wallet. If you don't want to type of thing, there's, uh, yeah, you know, every one of these shoots has a class for just about everybody. So it's a, it's a great experience just to get, get people out and, and practicing and shooting their bows when, uh, you know, that last couple of weeks before season starts and even during season is coming. So
0: well, maybe, maybe maybe, you can hook Jake and I up and we'll meet up with yeah. you at a shoot.
2: Heck yeah, it's a blast. I mean, I, I know later this summer there's a shoot at uh, Sparta um, on the west side of the state here Rockford, uh, hosts an uh, ASA shoot uh, here at the end of the month, um, and they always have guest classes too. I think, uh, you know, 10 bucks basically just pays pays the club for their time and their efforts of setting the course up, and you can just go shoot and try it out, and um it's, it's a really good time. It's a lot like around the golf. I mean, you're walking through the woods, you know, take a couple shots. you got a group of people with you uh, scoring and, and everybody's shooting together. And, um, you know, 20 targets you sh- you can usually get done in about three hours or so. But it's good exercise and, and a heck of a lot of fun and, and challenging.
1: So, uh... uh, Rob. I got a question, buddy. Um, yeah. So shooting competitively, you got like a, a sweet competitive archery setup, right? Total, yep. You know different rig by and large from what you're you're hunting with too right mm-hmm. um what kind of i, know, I you know everybody's read anybody's seen, done any type of whitetail hunting and and of course the you know competitive side to the translation like you touched on buck fever being minimized because you're shooting in a competitive environment all the time right um you know the effects of that are a huge bonus when you're in the whitetail woods but the question i have right and this is a total Nimrod's question because I don't <laughs> even know nothing about this space. Uh, but uh, shooting different rigs or different setups is, uh, I mean, what's the biggest? I mean, I know your you're, you're stabilizers and everything are locked down. You're in a spot where there's not a lot of bow movement and stuff. When you're up in a tree and you're using something different, Is a ton of it still translate? You have to spend a month or two kind of setting this, you know, the competitive rig aside to get ready for whitetail season or how do you kind of go through that um
2: no and there's and I did it kind of the you can this is how it gets expensive um and this is something I'm going to have to go go do now that I've switched away from Matthews to Prime um I, I'll be getting my CT9 here uh in another week or two and I've been shooting a, a demo bow uh that long range uh, my home shop in Holland has um and I've and I've loved it um but I tried to, even when I was shooting with Matthews, tried to set myself up to where the draw cycle and basically the feel of the bow was just about the same. My 3D wig, um, I had at 70 pounds, um, you know, just exactly like my Halon 32, I was shooting for a couple of years, uh, was, um, you know, when it comes to rest in sight, you know, I'm shooting a single pin on my hunting bow as I was with my target bow, um, you can once I started playing with stabilizers and things like that, uh, you know, the weight of the bow in your hand, you know, was an easy transition. You start having that, you go back from a long, long front stabilizer of like twenty-seven to thirty inches, and then you go put a, a ten or a twelve-inch bar out front. Um, it's a, it's a little bit different, but you can counterbalance it with weight and and everything, and kind of tinker around your own personal setup. But um, I tried to make the feel between. You know, with Matthews having their Halon, uh, you know, series between the Halon 32, the Halon X, the Halon X Comp, all that stuff was relatively close as far as draw cycle and feel for me uh, versus kind of balancing between two different brands and things. And so I think that's what I'm going to end up doing as well uh, with my prime uh, setups. Is I'll have the CT9 for target archery and 3D, and then uh, I'll go with like a CT3 uh, for my hunting setup. So hopefully. Um, it should be an extremely easy transition uh, where I should, you know, in my head, I should hopefully be able to pick a bow up and, and be uh, be accurate with both and not have uh, a long uh, adjustment time or, you know, take a couple hours or take a couple arrows. I'd hope that it should be, you know, a couple arrows and still be dialed in type of thing. But I think a lot of that stuff just translates. Good form, um, all of it. Yeah, all of it just kind of should go from, from one setup to the next. Gotcha. What's the... <clears throat> what's the biggest so getting into the performer competition side of stuff what's the biggest key learnings that made you a better hunter um picking a spot um and and so you know the the age-old saying of aim small miss small um -hmm. you know when when we're hunting Uh, you know, we want that perfect shot. We want, we want the best shot possible for that deer. Um, so we get a quick, clean kill, um, with target archery. Um, when I first got into it, um, I used to get very frustrated because where I would take a, a kill shot on that particular animal for, for foam, um, is not where the scoring rings are, excuse me, um, is not where the scoring rings are for like a competition setting. So I'm putting an arrow right behind the shoulder of a deer uh, at 35 yards, and I'll take, like, a five, which is a, a low score. And so they have the inserts and stuff set up more in a central location. So, um, But you've got, you know, you've got small scoring rings on these 3D targets. And so um, I've got to hit if, – if I'm going to be competitive with some of the groups and guys I'm shooting, i got to be able to hit, uh, you know, a 50-cent piece at 40 yards um, and consistently do it. So you're really picking – you're really – you're really taught to pick a spot, aim at that spot and stay on that spot and execute a good shot um, and get that arrow in there. And that I think that is, you know, it easily translates to any any type of uh, hunting we do is aim small, miss small, pick that spot on that animal and, and execute a good shot.
0: Gotcha. Nice. <clears throat> Rob, so why I, I, I made the switch this year too. I'm going to with the, I'm going away from a Halon and picked up the prime, the CT3, Jake went with the the CT5 and then Cassandra went with just the 30, I don't even know, it's not a, is it just the Logic, is that what it's called? Just the 30. Yeah, Logic's last year, yep. What's the 31 inch this year?
2: I think there's no 31 inch this year. I think Prime just had their logic last from last year. That's a 31 inch axle axle bow, and then they just have the CT three, five, and nine this year, which yep. is a 33 inch, a 35, and a 39 inch axle
0: axle. Yeah. So she went with the last year the logic, just the 31 inch or whatever it is. So, um, what was what was your deciding factor in switching from from a Matthews to to a Prime?
2: I. Was having a little bit of, uh, on all my Matthews, I would switch the grips out. Um, I, I was having some grip issues, so I would always put an aftermarket grip, um, you know, just spending more money on target archery stuff. <laughs> um, but, uh, I would always switch the grip for the last few models of Matthews bows that I got. And, and, uh, you know, they would shoot just fine, but I, I just picked up a TRX, um, seven and, um, was liking it. I, I was shooting just fine with it. Um, But I, we had a demo. uh, We have a demo CT9 in the um, in the shop, and it was a nice metallic purple and basically colors and stuff. I mean, it looks beautiful. I will say, primes, primes or finish on their bows and stuff um, is is bar none. I I think they have the best looking bow when it comes to any of the bows in the uh, in the industry right now. Um, I think they've done such a great job, and I think that's why they're um so successful lately as they just things just look awesome but um anyway i was uh i would take that that demo bow with no sight uh just a rest on it no stabilizers or anything and just kind of blank bail uh into into our targets there at the range and it just you know shot after shot just started feeling really good um i didn't know any of the specs on the bow i just knew it was a 60 pound bow um, I didn't know what the draw length was set at or anything. Um, but it just as soon as I got to full draw, just felt awesome. Felt like a natural fit for me. And so I just kept doing it, kept doing it and eventually I set it up to to throw a sight on and, and stabilizers and started shooting some arrows and stuff through it at at the range of twenty yards and um it just felt awesome. And so I, I kind of got to a point, and I actually got back to talking to Chad, who's, like I said, he's kind of my mentor with a lot of this target archery stuff. And uh, I said, hey, man, I, I might make this switch to CT9. I'm, I'm falling in love with this thing. And he goes, well, it's funny you say that because um, uh, my wife and I might be doing the same thing. And I said, oh, and this was news to me when I mentioned that to him. And uh, and so I tend to get a lot of his hand-me-downs or i copycat him a lot because you know if it works for him it should work for me right um so it was funny to hear him say that he was making the switch as well and uh, a few guys in our shop have made the switch and um i they're whatever they're doing right now um you can see it in their lead times uh for bows um you know at at months uh right now um they're doing something well over there at um, I'm really excited to get my
0: new one in, but for right now, I'm just still pounding, pounding X's and pounding foam with this demo bow. It's it's shooting like a dream. Yeah, I was talking to a shop down here, and I was just picking his brain on kind of the the whole prime, and because I've never never owned one, I've shot a Bowtech, Um I, I grew up on a bear, then switched to shot tech shot two different two different bows, and then switched to the Matthews and fell in love with that. And then I picked up the Prime, and actually I actually shot, shot that one with you up at the the show. And uh-huh. then I picked up the CT3, and the grips on them are phenomenal. And I was yeah. talking to a guy down here, and he loves them, At this guy at the shop. And he said that's the only bow... That he, as long as it was the owner of the shop, he said that's the only branded bow that he has not had to repair, either a broken limb or a riser, nothing like manufacture wise has broke on a bow that he has brought in. He yeah, says, oh, I've never, oh. i never had issues
2: with my Matthews at all or anything like that. But uh, same thing, I've heard great things about the quality uh, of Prime bows, and it's a Michigan. You know, with all of us here being in Michigan, I mean, it's awesome just to support a Michigan company.
1: For um, sure, you know.
2: And how cool is it that you know if you're? It, it, I can't. I don't have a whole lot of room to talk. I've been through four different bows in the last eight months um, <laughs> before I've finally settled on one. But you know how cool is it that you stick with a, a prime bow, and and I think what two, every two years you get new set of strings. Yeah. You know, and if you're if you're shooting as much as as we are, um, especially for target archery, for me, um, I'm going to stick with my factory strings when I do get my CC9 in. Um, and so, to get a new set of strings every
0: two years without having to go out and spend, you
2: know, another hundred, hundred and
0: fifty on a new set. Yeah, um, I was. That's just even. I was. I heard somewhere the other day they're 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 using the top of the line as far as like, whatever the the, the string is. It's the best quality you can get, and they're like a two hundred dollar string if you were to buy them, and you get them yeah, free yeah. every two years.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've, I've put a ton of arrows, to this demo bow um, here in the last month and a half, two months. Um, I've shot personal best scores, everything. I've had no peep rotation, um, no stretch, nothing. Uh, that bow stayed right in tolerance. Um, I've been able to pick up that bow, um, you know, after a week of, of letting it sit in the case, cause I get busy with work and, and life and, um, you know, throw arrows through it and I, I never miss a beat and to have that confidence that i can go and do that is is amazing especially for target archery is, is a confidence thing but to be able to if you can pick your bow because you're busy all, all uh, winter and, and summer and you finally pick up your bow uh you know in, in late july august or something like that and that bow is, is still in spec and and still ready to rock i mean that's that's got to be a great feeling
0: yeah and there's something to say about that because i guarantee you it's probably like 85 percent of deer hunters are that way season ends they put their bow away and they don't pick it up till july august and then they start shooting so yeah
2: and and the average hunter you know they're 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 probably shooting plenty, and you know they're, they're practicing and stuff getting ready to season and um you know we usually don't practice a ton or take a ton of shots from october to december but um You know, another two years, you know, two years goes by from when you buy the bow and you get a new set of strings, you know, just get it right back in and get it uh, get it to your local shop and get it back to adjusted and and back in time and everything like that. And you're good to go again. I mean, it's just uh, very cool. I'm really surprised. I was talking to one of our other guys at the shop. I was just surprised nobody else has really jumped on that uh, bandwagon to either give like a discounted set of strings every two years or you know, they just send you a new set, or you, you know, you can get an order for a new set every
1: couple of years. I'm surprised nobody else has jumped on that as a as a marketing uh, ploy.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like a it's like a warranty on a bow. It's like unheard. Yeah. It's literally like unheard of, which is pretty yeah. freaking cool. It's a lot like Vortex. Yeah. No questions asked. Just break it. They send you a new one. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. But
1: yeah, you guys touched on it, Rob. You, you know uh, when. I was Jordan and I came up to Lansing and saw you guys. You pulled the bow off or you pulled the prime off. I can't remember which one it was, if it was a Logic or what. Go, let's go shoot this right now if you guys have shot this. And I'm shooting like a, a 2011 Hoyt Alpha Burner. I had mm-hmm. for like five years. Um, It's been a great bow. Before that, it was a golden eagle <laughs> uh, high school used, but uh, oh my word. It, it was instantly like, yep, this is something I need to really look into and did my research and I think the biggest thing, especially for our listeners, too, and hearing you talk about different bow brands and why why you're shooting what you're shooting is, you know, I think we get caught in this. You go to your local archery shop, and I'm not knocking anybody to shop, but there's, a, you know, there's sales incentives and stuff on the table. Uh, they're not going to really steer you wrong, but there's definitely some, some financial, potentially some financial bias, so I'm not calling anybody out, but... Um, it's good to hear from somebody who, who shoots as much as you do, shoots competitively, um, and shoots, you know, the volume that you shoot and why you're shooting what you're shooting. It's a pretty cool, uh, ringing endorsement for us. I mean, we already, we already bought our bows, so it's good to hear you say
2: that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, it's good stuff, man. Yeah, no, it's uh,
2: like, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. I've worked in a shop, uh, you know, where I, pushed Matthews, I mean, flat out. But I truly believed, I was shooting Matthews at the time, I truly believed that the bow I had in my hand was going to perform, and that when these guys, you know, were coming into the shop, looking around, and, and wanting to test out the newest the newest model, and that's the thing I'll tell to anybody, you know, when we talk, and that's the cool thing about, you know, the Lansing show, that we got to, you know, put a couple arrows through, a couple different bows, and you guys got to feel, you know, firsthand, versus... Um, you know, yeah, I heard Matthews is the best press brand, let's just go buy a Matthews. Like go shoot him. Go go feel how that back wall is. Go feel how that draw cycle is. Go go feel that that bow, you know, when you release that arrow. Is there vibration? Is, is there a bunch of hand shock? Does you know, does it balance well, all this stuff. Go go shoot that stuff and um yeah, it's like I said, I have nothing bad to speak about Matthews, but for some reason when it comes to this this uh, the C T series um, I've just fallen in love with with it. And uh, Jordan, you kind of mentioned the grip earlier. I, for some reason, I have some grip issues when I pick up a bow, and uh, I absolutely love love this CT grip. Uh, everything's built right into the riser. There's no, you know, you don't have to mess around with it, which could be a good or a bad thing if you have a different if you like a different hand angle. Uh, but it, man, it just it feels like shaking somebody's hand. It feels like a perfect fit uh, when I put put that bow in my hand. So I'm super excited uh, to get it ready and set up and get shooting it for this
0: outdoor season coming up yeah and the the other thing that I, i talked to someone about and they said that it's a pretty pretty slim small grip and this guy i was talking to made a great point he's like you you don't want you want as little amount of hand on that bow he said because then you're limiting your torque he says the more more hand more grip you have he says the more chances you have of of Torquing that bow left or right. And then there's something to say about their center shot technology, all that stuff. I mean, as I've become a better archer, I, I'm getting away from speed. Speed speed doesn't kill, kill, kill animals. Accuracy kills animals. And the more accurate bow you have in your hand, the more deadly you will be. I'll, I'll yep. shoot a slow bow up against a 350 feet per second bow, all day if i am more accurate with that bow i'll shoot at 250 feet per second don't care you will kill animals shooting a slow cassandra killed an elk this year shooting a 45 pound bow i mean yeah. it's it's crazy but it shoots so hard you shoot the right setup you shoot a heavy arrow it's kinetic energy you shoot i mean it, people, that's one thing. Like I, I, try to drive home when I'm talking to people about archery. I don't care how fast your bow shoots. Does that? It's so irrelevant. So irrelevant. But well, all
2: that speed does is sometimes uh, you you gain with all that that arrow coming off that bow or that bow being so fast. Typically, with a faster bow, it's going to be a louder bow, and oh. so that that speed basically allows you to send an arrow downrange faster and that deer or animal can't react as quick, even though your bow is much louder. Yeah. So, um, I've noticed that stand next to guys and, um, you know, and I have no, no doubt in my mind. I can hunt with my CT nine. I know that they prime, uh you know kind of pitches a little bit that you can hunt with this entire series it's not just a target bow especially the, the 39 inch axle axle bow might be a little tough to get into tight quarters i uh, <laughs> won't be hunting i won't be out of a ground blind with it um but i ordered mine in all black and everything so just in case i ever i never needed a backup bow or something i could i could shoot it um what i've noticed being on the range with with people um you know, especially in an indoor setting, you can just hear this twang and, you know, these guys, in indoor setups, you, you don't have a deer that, that targets not jumping jumping the string on you, so it doesn't matter. But it's just cool to know that this bow is, as well as it performs, it's also quiet. It It's not the fastest bow, but it's just smooth and it's just a great platform. Um, you know, but yeah, you're, you're talking the same thing. I'd much rather have an accurate bow than a fast bow. Um that fastball hey you, you go making a bad shot all you're doing is send an arrow faster uh, to a bad area um, then you then you are making up any speed or anything like that so they're typically not as forgiving
0: either so yeah for sure all right enough about the archery. so I want to get in <laughs> I want to get into this buck that you killed was it two years ago?
2: Yeah, to, uh, yeah, we'll be going on three years now this coming fall. So yeah, two and a half years ago now.
0: All right, well, tell us a little bit about the deer and kind of like your your well. Let's first jump into the deer. Like any history with him, and you know, did you have him officially scored? Um, let's yeah, just tell us the story, man.
2: So. um the farm that I hunt uh, is a good buddy of mine's dairy farm up in Sparta, Michigan, uh, a little north of Grand Rapids. I've been hunting that farm for probably, we're going to go on 10 years now. Um, they have always, the, the plot of area that I hunt is probably 30 acres. Um, I want to say 10 to 15 of it is going to be agricultural field. I've got a lake in the middle of a, a, a hardwoods with a swamp and um uh, basically, agriculture to the north of me, to the south of me, I've got a road. Um, so there's a lot of funnels, and and there's a big area. And as I've matured as a deer hunter, I've I've just gotten better. I've become more knowledgeable and stuff. So I started setting kind of some sanctuary areas that I did not uh, I did not go scouting in. I did not. I just stayed away from. And there were some of the thicker uh, plots um, in this in this wooded area, um, but. Um, they had always planted in my agricultural fields, they had always planted alfalfa. And so I knew there's always been good-sized good, good sized deer, um, good mature deer in the area, um, so I could go scout them all summer. You know, I'd sit on the edge of the road and, and watch the field and stuff at night and, and see these deer. Um, and... I came home, um, and I don't have a whole lot of communication with the farmer as far as what they're planning. You know, hey, they're going to do what they're going to do, and, and I just am lucky enough and to get to hunt it, so it's awesome that way. But um, I came home and uh, from North Dakota and was going to start hunting this property again, and they were going to put corn in uh, this field. And I knew the moment they put corn in and that they were going to— um, have a better food source, especially for once the season, once later uh, in the fall uh, came. Um, I was going to be able to see some some deer, and it was going to hold more deer. Um, so I knew kind of my my cheat code had been unlocked uh, the moment they started planting corn in my field. So um, obviously I couldn't scout or anything uh, from the road. Um, so I I got in there early um, j- early July. Um, and started setting up cameras and everything. Um, that's when I usually will start my scouting, um, is early July. I kind of have a good, good understanding of the property anyway, so I don't need to to spend a whole lot of time early in the year, I guess. I'll go shed hunt it and stuff. But, um, so I set up cameras uh, along the edge of the corn. There was about 10 to 15 yards of, of tall grass and weeds before the corn line started between the edge of the woods. So it was good travel corridors. Um, so I set up cameras along the perimeter, um, and kind of let those cameras sit and as I've gotten better you know you don't go check the cameras every week Uh, you stay out of there and keep the scent out of there so um my first camera pull I think was the first first week in August I let, let let those cameras sit for about three weeks just to make sure that the batteries and stuff were working cameras were taking pictures and the very first picture I got um was a beautiful velvet 10 point um probably the biggest buck I'd ever seen on hoof. It was definitely the biggest buck I'd ever seen on this property. Um, But that was literally the very first picture I pulled uh, out of the camera. Um, So that immediately um, got me excited. And it kind of proved that, okay, I I knew the moment the corn got planted and and I was going to have corn to hunt that year. Um, It it was going to be a good season, an exciting season. So I probably had – Within this thirty acres, and and now adding all that tall corn, um, deer were holding in there. I probably had seven or eight different bucks um, of all different ages, but I had three really good bucks. Um, I had another eight pointer. I called Captain Hook. He had a bent brow tine, um that was uh, probably a two and a half year old deer. Um, and up until this point, I never shot a really good size deer before, so I didn't have really high standards. Um, I was looking to just take a, a good solid deer but i wanted i wanted something that would in my eyes was over 125 130 inches that that for me was very respectful especially here in michigan um so i had a couple of deer uh in that category so i had uh kind of set a little hit list but that 10 pointer um was was definitely top um so checked cameras a, a few more times um And of course, like every big deer, uh, he ghosted me, um, the last month, month going up to the season. Um, I didn't get a single picture of him. Um, I kept getting the pictures of the two other nice, nice bucks that I had. It was another, it was captain hook. And then another, uh, nine point that I had, um, really wide, but not a lot of mass, um, and not very tall. Um, but of course, like I said, he, he kind of ghosted me. Um, my uh, alumni out at college wrestling uh, golf outing got set for October 1st that year. uh, uh, Yeah. Totally. I know the I know the coaches really well. um, Some of my best friends and I immediately when they released the date for that, I'm like, are you guys kidding me? Like, this is a sacred, this is a sacred day for a lot of people. It was a Sunday. So I played 18 hole uh, golf outing. I did not stay for awards. I didn't stay for anything. And I drove an hour and a half at about 85 miles an hour through back roads to get back to the farm. I showered and, and being early in the year, you know, you could get into a stand at five o'clock, uh, and still get a couple hours of the sitting. in. so I got up there, didn't see a deer the whole, the whole first night. Um, and so all of, I was like, well, that kind of stinks. I didn't see a doe, oh, nothing. Um, so, um, about a week later, I had uh, gotten to work a little early. Uh, we had a nice little cold front come in. I remember it was probably 50 degrees, um, and I think, you know, up until that point, it was probably averaging 70, um, so I decided uh, that I was going to hang a stand uh, that night. I got in, I, I left work early, brought a stand with me, was going to try and, and be on the perimeter of another area of a swamp uh, in between the cornfield, and so... When I pull up to the farm, uh, as I'd mentioned, the, the farmer and I didn't, don't communicate a whole lot. As I get there, he's in the combine cutting corn, and so I immediately am going, well, there goes my night!" And so um, I just figured, "Well, I'm just going to use the background noise of the combine to go hang the stand." I mean, what could it hurt? I got a good wind and everything, so I uh, I, I just basically walked the edge of the corn and. And got in there, got on the edge of the swamp, and and hung my stand. I was about 15 to 20 yards off the edge of the corn. I could shoot out into the field if I needed to. Um, Just decided once I got that stand hung, I'll I'll sit the last hour, half, two hours. And and I did. And it ended up turning out to be the most eventful night of hunting I've ever had in the woods. Um, As soon as the combine left the field, um, they had basically cut the outer uh, 20 or 25 rows uh, of the cornfield. So basically I got a nice racetrack of, of cut corn in between me, the standing corn, and then the edge of the woods. Um, and probably 30 minutes later after the combine left, I had deer started to funnel in, into the woods and they were coming from every which way. Um, so when I thought it was a blown night of hunting, um, I think I ended up seeing, 17 deer that night and seven of them, seven of them were bucks. Um, I was sitting in my stand for about an hour and I looked out in front of me and all I saw was horns. Um, I immediately knew what it was. It was at about 50, 60 yards. My heart of course started racing. Biggest deer of my life was actually made himself up here. I hadn't seen him on camera for a whole month. Um, and so he walked right out in front of me. Um, and he could have taken a left or a right, uh, right would have taken him away from me, uh, down the the hedgerow of the corn. Um, and I would have never saw him the rest of the night left. He would have walked right at me and he took a left. Um, so he starts walking at me. Um, I'm starting of course, to play this in my head of, Holy cow, this is going to happen. I'm going to get a shot at this deer. Um, and he gets to 48 yards, and I practice all summer um, at 100 yards, 75, 80 yards. You know, I, I practice these really long-distance shots for the purpose of being able to take a, a shot at 50 or less when it, when it comes to it. Um, and so I was like, I'm, I'm confident here. I can take this shot. So I range him. He's at 48 yards. I set my um, sight for just an extra yard. Um, just, just in case, as almost like a, 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 I guess a, I don't know, a safety net. Um, I draw back on him. He didn't have a clue what happened. I let an arrow fly, and it goes right over his back. And so I just missed the biggest deer in my life at 48 yards, um, and he kind of bounces off, um, but he doesn't spook too bad. So I'm like, okay, it's so early in the night. I take a seat and kind of lick my wounds and, and try to get myself back mentally um and the night kind of goes on I end up seeing uh from that point on I end up seeing another six different bucks probably another four or five does I saw fighting that night it was the it was the 10th of October and I saw a bunch of bucks sparring and stuff which I had never seen in a Michigan woods before so that was really cool um but uh just to speed up the story a week later um I got back in the same stand or actually I moved that stand, um, about 15 yards closer to the edge of the, uh, corn. Um, so basically anything out, uh, in the edge of the corn, um, I could take a shot at. Did, um, did, the uh,
0: did the farmer pick the entire cornfield by that time or did, was it still <laughs> just that outer edge? No, nope. Still, still set up. Um, where,
2: like I said, I probably had 30 to, well, now that I'm kind of thinking about it a little bit more, I probably had 40 to 50 yards of cut corn, Um, from the edge of the the hardwoods and swamp that I was hunting to the standing cord. So they probably cut two or three combine widths worth. Um, So it was, it was awesome. Those no, none of the deer can be seen from the road. I mean, it was a nice secluded area. Um, So I got another, you know, I'm in sales, so I have a flexible schedule. So I dipped out of work uh, early, um, got in my stand. I was in my stand, I think uh, at like three o'clock, Um, I'm answering emails and text messages and stuff, just still trying to be a diligent worker. And all I hear is thrashing, um, to, to my left around the corner, um, of this wooded area. And so I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was raccoons and stuff. I kind of kept paying attention to it. And, um, I look and again, all I see is horns. And I've always been the hunter, at least in my head, that I'm not as far as, uh, I'm not lucky or I don't hunt properties that deer up moving, you know, 20 minutes after I'm in a stand. And so to see a deer within the first hour of me sitting down, um, I was ecstatic. And then to see that it had a head full of horns and that it was the deer that I had missed, um, I was, yeah, I was ecstatic this time. And um, so he was beating up brush and making rubs and everything and. I watched this deer for about 25 minutes work his way towards me slowly. I started picking spots to where he might come come into this area and he actually walked behind me. Uh, he didn't walk out into the corn. Um, so I, uh, I had a little heart-to-heart with myself this time as far as, hey, stay calm, you can do this. You know, I was giving myself some self-talk, um, trying to just remain calm um, as best I can knowing that I was gonna get another shot at this buck. And, uh, so he walked, um, to my left, which presented a perfect shot for being a right hander, um, at uh, 30 yards and, uh, I let him have it, uh, this time. And so this time I, I, I smoked him, I, I hit him a little low. Um, and so, um, I could see blood and stuff running down his leg. I, I knew I made a good hit or what I thought was a good hit. And so he, he bound off, ran for about 20 yards and then, um, And then started walking and just kind of walked off. And, and so I'm, I'm on binoculars, watching, 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 and hoping he tips over his tails, kind of doing the the flicker and flack. And, um, he doesn't, he doesn't tip over. I'm like, okay, come on, just, just go down. He takes about another 10 to 15 steps and beds down. And I'm sitting there going, "Well, well, that's not supposed to happen. Um, I, 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 kind of saw him get a little woozy so that was uh, a reassuring uh sight that um he he took a couple of stumble steps so i knew he was probably losing blood and, and he was in a bad shape but uh he batted down 50 yards from me and i watched him literally the rest of the night um i i had called uh called my dad He's given me, uh, he's given me some different advice, and I think Jordan, I I think I texted and called you that night.
0: You called me in the Uh, stand. You were freaking out. You're like, I don't know what to do.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I was losing my mind that night. I was like, uh, get
0: out of there. Leave him alone.
2: Yep, exactly. And and that's you know, you watch Levi Morgan, you watch you know any of these shows, and it's you know, when in doubt, back out. And and so I had a small argument with my dad because in his experience, he lost a couple deer um, because he didn't pursue them after he took a shot. Um, and so I went with my gut and what, you know, what my idols and stuff and, and what my good friend, uh, Jordan had told me is, And so I had, uh, I was hunting with a buddy of mine that was a couple miles away on his property as well. And I called him, told him what had happened. And, um, that deer actually bedded between me and my truck. So I told him to pick me up on the backside of the farm. Uh, he did, uh, we went and had a, uh, some chili and, and stuff and gave him a few hours to, to sit. And, um, we started the track job at like nine o'clock that night. And so, uh, found my arrow, um, and everything, um, arrows covered in blood, blood trail started off well. Um, but when we got up to the point that I left him, he wasn't laying there dead in his bed, um, which, you know, so I'm having an emotional roller coaster. I, I see him kind of start to tip and everything and bed down and, you know, that made me feel good. But then we get to this point of tracking and he's not where, where I left him last. So we start pursuing him through the woods and, and I'm with, with my buddy Bryce who I've hunted with multiple years and he's killed a lot of deer and, and I trust his judgment and stuff. And, um, you know, I'm sitting there going, well, should we back out? You know, we, we went 10, 15 more yards, didn't find him, but we we're finding okay blood. It wasn't gushing. Um, I was using rages, uh, hypodermics, which I've always shot. And, um, you know, I wasn't getting those those rage blood trails that everybody boasts about that are three feet wide and look like a paint can spill. Um, but we were getting okay blood, and, and so I, uh, I kept asking him, you know, we'd go 15, 20 yards, you know, hey, should we back out? No, nah, it doesn't look like he's bedded back down, you know. so he, And he used some of his experience like that we haven't kicked him up. We'll put it that way. And so we kept going, kept going. We made it about another 150 yards, and he's got a huge spotlight uh, through the woods, and uh, I see this deer laying there, and um, my heart just sank, like, right there. I mean, so everything, you know, I'd been bow hunting for, at that point now, for creeping up on 12, 13 years, and, uh, you know, I dreamed of killing a deer of this caliber, and I had I had finally done it, and that was my first words, and, and I posted, a you know, an Instagram picture or whatever you know i did it i, I finally killed a, a good michigan what i would call a giant michigan and so um it was just really cool a really cool story that you know it was the first picture that i got of the season um i had an opportunity and i missed him um and uh, usually a mature deer like that you you don't get a second crack at um and, and to get another to get another shot at him uh you know early in an afternoon um you know Things just just played out really well, so it was it was super super
1: cool and something of course I'll always remember. You know, being my first really big buck. For sure.
0: You you know what he ended up scoring? Not that it matters.
2: Uh, um, I took it to my taxidermist who has done a, a bunch of deer for for my dad and I, and um, he scored it at one forty nine and seven eighths. Um, so we're basically right at that one fifty mark. Um, so so yeah so. um, I'll take it at 150. We'll just go to 150. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, uh, Rob, you got you got them mounted in a really good spot. You can make eye contact with them every day and just and, uh, be reminded of the, the so, whole home.
2: So uh, at the time, I was, when I moved back to North Dakota, I was crashing with my parents. I, uh, I went through a small, and they have a nice rustic-themed uh, home. And, of course, uh, uh, my mother uh, said, no, that deer is going in the other room. And my father and I said, "No, it's going above the TV on the pallet wall." Uh, and guess who won that argument at two to one? Um, and so the mount turned out beautiful, uh, shoulder mount and everything. And um, it is currently sitting uh, in that same spot above my parents' television because my fiance and our new apartment uh, it does not go with the theme here. Um, so it uh, it will probably stay at my parents' until we find a home or uh, I can basically turn our spare bedroom into my archery and hunting room uh here in another couple months when it's slowly i just start accruing things in that room and she doesn't pay attention to no
0: you so. just i jake and i learned this you know probably about a week ago two weeks ago when i brought in my mule deer i just put it up in our like living guest area and i just like man it looks good jake's wife said it looked good jake said it looked good three to one cassandra lost and <laughs> currently looking at him right now
2: (laughs) yeah yeah Cass has killed plenty of big gear herself though and uh, you know I could see her knowing her as long as I have I could see her being much more willing to have a a few shoulder mounts uh, in the living room or in public spaces Um, my fiance um, is more of a city slicker and uh, not that she's against hunting by any means. She loves that venison when I bring some home. But uh, she is not in favor of a deer head staring at her uh, while she's watching television or uh, sleeping at night. So I don't know if it'll make its way into the living room or above our
0: bed. Ironically enough, medicine. Ironically enough, Cassandra does not want animals, does she, Jake? She's...
1: Really? It's kind of weird, man. Yeah, you'd think, you know, with her background and as good of a hunter as she is, that she'd be pro- uh, Pro animal, you know, pro mounts and stuff. The cash, dude. But she gets there. He knows how hard it is to kill these suckers, and she still. <laughs> Her problem, Jordan, is she probably hangs out with Anna too my, my wife, Rob, yeah. is an interior decorator and interior designer. Oh, yep, she's really gifted there, but like, I'm, she's still trying to figure out how we put. Uh, <laughs> how we put deer on the wall and luckily i'm a good enough hunter yet to make that uh, a major issue for us but it's gonna happen someday and it's gonna be an issue so i, I know what you're going through uh yeah. just a big one yet, you just gotta
0: put them on a put them on a pedestal with like nice grasses and stuff and then they're like oh that's actually really cool and then it's like yeah i know let's put it in the living room
2: <laughs> i think my battle will will i think i'll finally win my battle when uh maybe in a couple years when we get into a house and i have that that man cave or i have my own separate space to have all my archery equipment and hunting uh, gear and stuff like that and uh, i can i will probably be able to display it down there at that point hopefully i'll be able to add a, a couple more to to that wall as well so
0: yeah just but pick I, your. i don't think our i don't think our apartment's gonna allow it anytime soon Pick your battles, young grasshopper. It,
2: exactly. Oh, trust me, I have been. It's been a learning experience. So but uh, you know, I love
0: it. That's awesome. So back to back to this this setup, Rob. How are you accessing this like this this stand? I know you and I actually talked about it like right before you I think like right after you got that first picture of him in Velvet, you sent me a screenshot of kind of the property. And you were asking just, guys, how you should get in there. My suggestion was going right through the smack dab middle of that cornfield, because if you think they were betting in that swamp, you're not going to bump that many deer walking through the cornfield. That's what I've always been taught. And, you know, I mean, here I am, I haven't killed a good buck in Michigan, so take everything I say <laughs> with a grain of salt. But how, how are you accessing it? And kind of like, what is it set up like north, south, east? Where was that swamp located? To where you were sitting the timber all that
2: so everything if you looked at uh like a rectangle that was set vertically um so your, your long sides are north and south your short sides are east and west um that's kind of what i was dealing with um the all the timber uh and swamp and everything was on the north half uh, of that rectangle and then uh all the south half was basically uh standing and, and cut corn so um I did, uh, after speaking with you, I did cut uh, a good path um, into the corn. Um, I used it a few times. Um, My only issue is, or when I did that, is that um, those, I would basically have to walk the edges of of this corn, and I did it a couple times where I got busted by a few deer going in and out, um, because they would be right on the edge, basically, between, uh, because on the very south side of the cornfield, there was another hardwoods um, section. And so, um, these deer would kind of hang out on the edge of the corn and just kind of, um, you know, station there, um, and then cut, you know, cut through the, uh, the hardwoods. And so I would use that entry and exit, um, based on the wind. Um, any North wind was good for me. Any You know, that's a prevailing wind. So any North winds and then any, um, East winds were great, um, for me, which don't happen that often. Um, but, uh, but they did and so I would use that area I got busted a couple of times so when when uh my farmer buddy Kyle cut that corn I would just walk the edges of the corn you know this I'd stay low um there was a lot of tall grass <clears throat> almost like uh you know that that I think they call that Indian grass or something. It was that tall you know, yep. four or five, six foot like CRP type grass. So I wasn't just, uh, you know, sticking out like a sore thumb. I kind of had a little barrier between the edge of the corn, which I could walk quietly in and then the swamp and stuff. So I, of course would always check my wind, um, and everything. And that's kind of what would depict on where I would park my truck. Um, <clears throat> there's a road that butted up right next to the, or ran parallel to the, this property. And so if I had a, east, uh, east or north wind, I would park on the far east side, uh, on a road and, um, it might give me a little further walk. Um, but it was worth it, you know, play the wind, uh, do things right. And then, um, if I ever had a, a west wind, um, I would, I would park on basically the completely opposite side of the farm and walk in. And it was almost an equal walk. Um, you know, maybe an extra 75, 80 yards, depending on what side. So a south wind for this, um, particular farm was terrible because it would basically blow right back into the, all the hardwoods and everything so um very diligent with my scent control so depending on the time of the year i i will risk it uh, you know when those deer start getting a little bit stupider and, and start rutting it up and it, maybe it's not as as big of a deal but this was early you know two weeks into the season type of thing so i actually that night had a um, had an East wind, a a good 10 mile an hour East wind. And he came from, from the East. So he was never going to smell me, which was a, another bonus and a confidence booster that, that everything was going to develop and, and play, you know, play out in my favor. If, you know, I just didn't move and, and make any, you know, any mistakes on my end, um, you know, stand in Creek or anything like that. And, uh, you know, he took the right path uh, for me to get a shot at him. So I knew right away with the wind and where he showed up, uh, things were going to go really, really well. So,
0: Nice. Jake, do you have any more questions for Rob as we move into some rapid fire type stuff?
1: Uh, you know, I, I'm still just infatuated with this whole com- com- competitive archery stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's a oh, blast, man. man. We, can't, we can't talk enough with you. Um, we got so much to learn. What's the biggest thing, man? What's the most important, um, I guess, thing that's translated? Whether let's, I guess you could just boil it down to gear-wise. What's the biggest thing where you're like, okay, this is something I definitely got to find a way to um, to apply to my hunting bow or to the way, you know, what I carry into the tree stand? Um,
2: I mean, I, I really started taking my scent control really, really religious and serious um, a couple years ago versus, you know, wash my stuff at the beginning of the year and, um, you know, spray down, you know, that type of stuff. I, you know, just how I kept my clothes, all that stuff. I I try to just put things in my favor. And then, um, you know, when it comes to a a bow setup, it's, it's a lot like golf and anything else, your equipment, you've got to be confident in what you're using. Um, and like I said, when I even had that first shot at that deer, I knew I was confident at 50 yards. I, I was fine. I was, I drew, drew back with, with some nerves and some shakes that I was drawn back on a, on a big Michigan deer. Um, but I was confident that I could execute that shot. Um, did I do it? No, but that's on me. It's, it's not in the bow or anything like that, but having uh, the target entry stuff and learning a lot more on how bows are set up, how arrows need to be set up, uh, you know, getting everything tuned. To to perfection, or you know, as close to perfection as possible. And I'm still so new at this, so by no means am I tuning a bow like Levi Morgan is uh, doing, who's uh, you know one of my my big mentor idol, you know, guys that I look up to in the industry because he does well on both both sides of the fence. Um, but having a, having the equipment um, that you're you know so so confident in when you walk into the woods, that's I think at that point you can you can you can do anything you need to, um, you know, um, but uh, you got to get that opportunity first. And so <laughs> I'll lean back on that scent control aspect
1: of
0: things. So, um, if they smell you, they're never going to come close to you, but. Gotcha. Rob, I have a question for you. What do you, what do you think like the biggest, like struggle that archers have that you've seen? I mean, you've worked in the shop, you, you shoot quite a bit. Like what's that, that one thing, like, a, is it a form or is it like a form issue? Um, especially for new guys that are looking to get into archery, like what's what's that one thing that you see people struggle with that you feel like is something easily to overcome with practice or whatever it might be?
2: Um, it's it's a, a combination between form and setup. Um, a lot of people do not have the correct bow, um, and not the not the bow itself, but it is not set up correctly for them. Um, I worked as a bow tech in a, in a shop for a year um, to watch people. And when your bow is not set up correctly for you, your form is automatically junk. Um, so you can have the most perfect form, but if your bow, your draw length is too long or too short or you're trying to draw too much weight, um, all of this stuff uh, is almost like a domino effect um, to not being as good as you could be. Uh, you know, reaching your full potential as an archer and, and being as accurate as you possibly can. So um, it's a combination between, you know, having the bow set up correctly to you. Um, I've always related it to the perfect fitting pair of shoes. Everybody's, you know, feet and arches and all that stuff is different. So when you get a bow set up, it has to be set up perfectly to you. Your peep sight is different between, uh, you know, one person to the next. You know, Jordan, you can't pick up my bow your lungs are, your arms are long and gangly. You know, you got like a 30 some inch draw. I got a 27 and a half inch draw. So you're going to, you know, if I try to draw your bow, it's going to be tucked behind my ear, you know, six <laughs> inches versus, you know, you pick up my bow where you, you might not even hit your chin type of thing in a drawing. So, yeah. and then I've seen, you know, people that are, they're so, uh, you know, we get back to that speed thing on some of these bows. People are so obsessed with getting their poundage up, um, for, to gain as much speed as possible well they're sky drawing you know they're reaching to the sky or reaching down to try and pull that bow back all that extra motion in a tree stand you're going to get busted so quick you should have a nice smooth easy draw to get to get on that animal and and so when you're drawing too much weight and all that stuff you don't have to be drawing 70 pounds if you can't hack 70 pounds go down to 60 60 is a heck of a lot easier to draw these days than it used to be you know versus a, a 70 pound bow or you know vice versa go down to 50 you can kill a deer with, with 25, 30
1: pounds these days yep. with the right
2: equipment. So, um, you know, I think it's a combination of those two things that people need to, to work on their form, but make sure that bow is set up correctly for you um, or else you can't really get the form correct.
0: Yeah. Jake and I were actually just talking about that um, whole setup and people trying to reach that, that certain speed. And this year I hunted my hunting setup. I have 70-pound limbs. But I was only shooting a 60, 62 two pound bow. And it was mm-hmm. I can draw seventy pounds. No, we I mean it's simple. Like I I mean, I don't have to reach for the sky or anything like that. I could hold that bow and just pull it back nice and easy. But there was a comfort level once I hit that sixty-two and I killed my elk, my mule deer, and my buck all this year at sixty-two pounds. And I shot my Muley at sixty yards. So yeah. I mean uh, uh, uh. A,
2: a well-placed shot is it's king uh, you know uh, you don't have to have all that speed and uh, you you were we were talking about you know some kinetic energy and having a little bit heavier arrow you know you get good penetration on a well-placed shot the, the game's over at that point
0: yeah and then the other thing too is like i i love shooting my bow i shoot in my bay i literally have a foam 3d target in my basement and i shoot my bow and if I was shooting 70 pounds every day, it would it would eventually get to a point where I'm just like, this is not fun anymore. So you know, I drew it.
2: I had that TRX set up to 70, I think 71 pounds. And, you know, I was, I was throwing a little heavier arrow but, because I still have to meet some speed requirements for ASA. But, you know, shooting a five-spot, so indoor five-spot target archery, so you're sending 60 arrows plus two ends of practice arrows. So you're sending 70 arrows just for an official game in probably an hour no thank seven, you at 71 pounds and by the end i could i could I, it's like conditioning it's like conditioning for for running for anything else you have to be able to hold that bow up draw that bow back you know make a good shot and i was getting to a point at 71 pounds i'm going this is thank god you know <laughs> asa or you know when i go shoot 3d it's one shot every five minutes i yeah. got plenty of time to
1: recover
0: yeah so and you're so, much yeah, big ba- you're you're much bigger than i am and there's for you to say that that's what i'm saying like if anything people just shoot a bow that you're comfortable don't freaking worry about speed or or you know how much po- i mean guys will ask you how many pounds are you pulling back I'm, i'll i tell someone i'm pulling 50 pounds back who cares yeah who yep, cares
1: exactly
0: so yeah. it doesn't matter but all
1: right rob one quick question not with a bow in your hand what's the best way to get in bow shape not with a bow in your
2: hand. Um, I, I did, you know, I, I lift. Uh, I'm getting back into lifting um, because um, my beautiful fiance is a uh, gym rat as well. And so I, I've been kind of on a hiatus for a while. But the, the lifting thing for me um, is probably the best way to get back into it. Um, I've noticed my lack of, of lifting and working out, um, my front shoulder, so that bow arm, um, gets very tired, very quick. Um, and I know when I was shooting, you know, heck I'd shoot 60, 70 arrows in an afternoon, uh, when I was lifting all the time, um, and had no issues whatsoever with that, with that front shoulder. Um, and so now, um, when you start adding stabilizer weight and all this extra stuff on there, my, my front bow shoulder gets tired very quickly. So I've, uh, I've started to, um, at least I hope rededicate myself to the gym and, and get in there a couple times a week and, and get those shoulders and that back strong. Um, and I think it just, it helps overall. Um, you know, you're just in good shape. And, and, and so when you're chasing animals and hucking it through the woods and hucking it through the, the mountains and everything like that, you're just, you're prepared better. Um, and so I, I think the working out, um, you know, it is certainly a, a very beneficial tool, uh, to help you, uh, you
0: know prepare yourself the best gotcha that's good all right well we're not going to keep you too much longer rob but i have let's go to i have two last questions so first one being if you could tell your younger self one thing related to hunting what would it be and then our final question is why do you hunt uh
2: younger self um i think i would go um you know, it's so easy now. Um, you know, you got YouTube and and, and everything, uh, all these social media resources and things. But so yeah, the research aspect of things is uh, a lot easier than I would have thought my younger self. So tell my tell my younger self, even you know, books and magazines. You know, these guys, these professional archers and hunters have been writing articles for years, and to to. Learn from them, um, you know, this whole scent control and how to access properties, um, you know, lean on people who are more knowledgeable than you. Um, don't just try and wing it and figure it out. You know, experience is, is great. You can you can just try and do stuff on your own, you know, and maybe ask the occasional question. But, um, you know, you can find a lot of success a heck of a lot quicker if, if you use your resources better. Uh, you know, use people that are, are more experienced and have more knowledge than you, um, YouTube, you know, the internet, you know, do all that stuff. So I tell my younger self just to do more research on the scent control, on uh, how to access properties, how to set stands, you know, in, in better locations, uh, you know, and all that stuff will hopefully lead to to better success, um, you know, where maybe I didn't have to wait until I was 25 to to get my eyes and, and get an opportunity to kill a, a really good deer, um, you know, here in Michigan. So...
0: Um, and then that last question, what was that? And why do you hunt? I think it's the hardest question there is.
2: Probably. Um, I- i don't know if we have enough time type of thing i mean i absolutely love it um you know so it's an extension of archery Uh, and i think because of hunting it got me into archery now so um they kind of go hand in hand for me um picking up that boat for the first time um so it got me to where i am as far as my passion and love for for getting into target archery and stuff so but um the, the groceries i mean the best meat that you can get the cleanest meat and protein that you can put in a freezer and, and serve your family and your friends and i love you know that fall time when you harvest a deer uh you know sharing that that uh that harvest with with all those all my favorite people um you know whether it be at christmas time with you know beef jerky and summer sausage and stuff, or. You know, I'm able to help some friends uh, with a few extra meals with burgers and steak and stuff. Um, you know, I usually try to take a, an extra dough a year and donate it um, to family or, or friends. You know, we always keep tabs on each other to see if anybody needs an extra meal or not a meal an extra deer. Um, you know, because a good size a good size white can can feed a family uh, for at least half a year. just depends on the frequency of, of cooking it. So. Um, and the friends and, and, and everything. Um, my family, everybody in my family, um, hunts all of our male, uh, all my male companions hunt. Um, and so I love, you know, going up to our property up in the UP and, and hanging out and, and sharing stories and, and hanging out with everybody. And then, um, you know, getting to talk to, to you guys, you know, Jordan, we've known each other for quite some time we've always talked hunting and, um, you know, I've talked to my customers with work about hunting and, and archery and um, just the, the network of people that you can meet that, that kind of share that uh, bond with, with hunting is is one of the coolest things. And so, um, yeah. you know, I think between the combination of all that stuff, it's it's just, it's the best. I mean, and there's, I will tell you right now, there is no better feeling. We, we look for it all year. Um, not so much maybe in October, but there's no better Time than that, sun rising on a late October, early November morning when it's a good 20 degrees out and thermals are rising, like all this stuff. I mean, that that to me is my favorite day of the year, and it doesn't have to be on a certain date. I mean, there's just one of those moments where it's just like, wow, this is this is absolutely gorgeous, and I look forward to that that time every single year, and you can't get that anywhere else. I mean, uh, fishing pole in your hand, you know, it's great, you know, when the sun's coming up in the morning, but knowing that nothing around you really knows you're there and the, and
0: the woods are waking up is is one of the coolest feelings heck yeah well and that's back to your back to your question of too of like telling your younger self doing the research that's why Jake and I kind of talked about starting this whole podcast was we wanted to learn from people that are doing it better than we are plain and simple like I haven't killed a good buck in Michigan never have and it's eating me alive day in and day out and Jake and I are working our butts off trying to get our property ready and and building the habitat and everything so that we can better our chances of doing that and we're simply here just to pick pick, this knowledge we want knowledge from guys that are doing it so that's Mm -hmm. so true try to learn as much from as many people and be humble about it because it's it's a game that you, you you can't win. There's always someone better. There's always going to be a bigger deer. And just to be, you know, be humbled and blessed with, you know, 150-inch deer like yourself, like you may never get that opportunity ever again in Michigan, but. I really hope not.
2: I really hope
0: not. I know, but, that, I like it. <laughs> but you know what? It, to, to say you did it is unbelievable. I mean. Yeah they the percentage of guys that have that opportunity is minimal so yeah that is so, so cool dude and i i was so stoked for you when you when i got that phone call it was <laughs> it was pretty awesome
2: so, yeah it's there's nothing better than that excitement especially you know going from uh, such a low of, of missing that deer and by the way
1: i found so when i killed that deer i actually hit it the first time you um, did i found
2: i did i found a. Uh, uh, a razor blade cut on its back, um, that if I would have, you know, twitched a little less or something, you know, or had a little less nerves and, and hit that deer an inch lower, I would have spined him and dropped him in his tracks that first time. So, um, you know, it's a game of inches at that point. And so, um, and for you guys, like for anybody, I, it's such a, I believe so wholeheartedly it's a cheat code is corn you know no. when michigan was allowed to and you're allowed to bait and stuff everybody throws out corn you know i would say you could throw out apples and carrots and things but your highest percentage of deer are probably going to come to corn and if you can get a standing cornfield or a cut cornfield um before a farmer comes and manures it um you know and, and basically turns it back into nothing i think that's your that's your absolute cheat code those deer hide in it and when it gets cut there's you know, there's plenty of food for them to eat. They're going to funnel to it, um, you know, come from, from all different directions to, to eat it. And so I've, uh, I, I'd have i rather, if I'm going to hunt other places, I hunted state land this year that had a secluded cornfield in it. I was seeing deer every night. I didn't get a shot at anything because they were out in the middle of it. But, um, you know, those deer were coming to corn and I, for some reason, I'm just completely locked them. if i can find a cornfield that's going to stay up for most of the season or at least provide me a, a good food source for most of the season i there should be at least one good buck around there i would i would assume that's good good to know so. yeah so you'll be, be
0: out there pan planting corn yeah at your
2: property <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> so, jake do you yeah. have any any last questions for rob
1: no man appreciate having you on it's been uh it's been good we got to, I, I love hearing I keep talking about it but I love hearing it from a guy that, that shoots as much as you do and we got to spend some more time getting the, you know download some more of your uh, your expertise on the on the gear side yeah um, I, get, I love talking about you know. that stuff
2: so yeah I mean I, I can't wait to see you guys hopefully see you guys at Long Range Holland uh, here in the next couple of weeks and uh, shoot with you and stuff. And there's always opportunities to come shoot that 3d stuff. Like I said, it's it's relatively cheap. The, the downfall is there's a lot of the shoots are over on the East side of the state. Uh, that's where a lot of your participants are. Uh, so they kind of keep those shoots over there, but you know, we can carpool and stuff together, but you can guess shoot for, you know, 10 bucks and, and just go get an experience for it. But it's a, it's an absolute blast. And, um, you know, I appreciate you guys having me on. I love, I love talking about this stuff. It's such a passion for me. So, um, you know, I certainly hope we
0: can get together soon and wing some arrows. Let's do it, man. We appreciate having you. you on, Rob. Awesome, guys.
2: Well, have a great night. Have a, have a good week, too, and we'll hopefully see you soon.
0: Yep. Thanks again, Rob, for coming on. Jake and I enjoyed our conversation and loved talking about the target archery side of things, something that Jake and I have very little exposure to or know anything about. So we're looking forward to coming up and, and getting out to a competition with you and shooting this spring. So thanks again, man. Um, if this sounds like something you're interested in and coming on and just talking archery or deer hunting or any hunting related, um, Jake and I would love to have you guys come on. So go to RiskyOutdoors.com under the contact us link, shoot us a little message, a little bio about you. Uh, we love, love to talk with you guys. We have some pretty exciting episodes coming up in the future with guys that I've already reached out and uh, we're, we're pumped to bring you guys some pretty exciting stuff. So um, as always, thank you guys for listening. Stay stealthy and strive to become a Nimrod.